Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And he swings, hits it high, and deep, and gone! Still going back! Yeah! Out of here! Welcome to the big leagues! Deep to center field, and it is gone! Wow, his first big league swing is going to be a grand slam home run. Swing and drive! And welcome back to The Call-Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a prospect writer and analyst, as well as a co-founder of JustBaseball.com. And in today's episode, I know we're supposed to have Wednesday player interviews. Unfortunately, our scheduled guest had a last-minute conflict. Life happens. But the good news is that we have... Fangraphs blessing us with their top 100 prospect list. Eric Loggenhagen and co. over there did a really good job, and I'm very excited to go through this top 100 list over here. Uh, A lot of similarities with our soon-to-be-released top 100 list, which should release either at the very end of February or early days of March, depending on how the timeline is looking with all of these write-ups. Also officially just published the Red Sox top 10, so go check that out if you want to see the more in-depth write-ups. Of course, that last episode we did on Monday was the entire discussion of the top 10. So if you listen to that, you kind of already know, but you can see all the individual grades and a little bit more on each of those prospects over there. Of all the prospect lists we've seen so far, I would definitely say the fan graphs list is the most similar to what you'll see from just baseball. There's 
a, a lot of differences still as every assortment of 100 prospects and of course you're you're picking from a field of several hundred prospects that could you could probably make somewhat of an argument that they could be top 100 guys I'd say there's at least 200 plus guys that you could say that about uh, as you look at the different top 100 lists there's a few different players always in the back end that appear on one list and none of the others and there's a few of those guys on this fan graphs list as well but the top 50 or so is there's a lot of similarities there uh, with what you'll see from just baseball, but I think you'll also see uh, plenty of differences as well. But let's start from the top, and I'm not going to spend too much time on the rankings that you would kind of expect, right? Like, you look at the top, it's Adley and Bobby Witt, one and two, which I've always said you could go any way with the top three guys. This was the unique thing here, though, is... We actually saw Grayson Rodriguez get the nod ahead of Julio Rodriguez. If you're going to put one guy ahead of Julio Rodriguez or throw one guy into that top three instead of the other big three, which is Adley, Witt, and J-Rod, I'm cool with Grayson Rodriguez being at the top there just because he is the number one pitching prospect in baseball, in my opinion. That's a guy that I've been pretty adamant about being the top prospect in baseball and having massive upside top pitching prospect I should say and having that massive upside for some time now and he has done nothing but back that up and done nothing but continue to boost his stock with his profile his physicality the life on his fastball as it continues to just tick up in velo and also just all of the pitches he has to offer. He has a fastball that's electric a slider that is plus a curveball that flashes plus and a changeup. That looks like a plus offering, and he even has mixed in a cutter a little bit as well. Uh, It was pretty absurd to see some of these grades that Eric Loggenhagen and some of the other Fangraphs contributors put on Grayson Rodriguez's pitches here because I have always maintained that I think he could come at you with four above average offerings and three of them potentially being plus, uh, but... I'll just read you the grades on each of these pitches, and it'll make sense why uh, you saw Fangraphs kind of give Grayson the bump to number three overall in the prospect rankings. They gave him a 70 on the fastball, a 70 on the slider, a 60 on the curveball, and a 70 present and 80 future on the changeup, as well as a 60 on his cutter and 40 with 50 future on the command. I mean, that's insane. That would probably be one of the best pitchers in baseball if if those grades translate to the big league level. I, I think that's a little bullish, and that's coming from a guy who absolutely adores Grayson Rodriguez, but I think 370 pitches with one of them being a future 80 and then the curveball and cutter being both 60s, I, I, that actually sounds like the best pitcher of all time. So seems a little bit extreme at this juncture to, to give the, those kind of grades. But I think the fastball is a 70. And, and I do think that the slider is is a 60 plus and the changeup has turned into a plus pitch as well. But 370s with a future 80 is pretty nuts. I am here for it, though, just because Grayson Rodriguez is super special. And if there's one guy that you're going to go crazy bullish on, I'm cool with it being that guy. Uh, So Grayson Rodriguez, the big surprise at the top, but definitely a guy that at the end of the day, it's not surprising that he's in the top 10. He should be a consensus top 10 prospect. Just the individual pitch grades were a bit surprising to me. Julio Rodriguez at number four. Again, the only reason he's at four is not an indictment on him. It's because Grayson Rodriguez, I think, They're planning on him being the best pitcher of all time. And honestly, with those grades on his pitches, I'm surprised they didn't just put Grayson Rodriguez as the number one prospect. I mean, when you have 
those kind of grades. I don't know how you could even argue that there's two prospects better if, if that's really what you value those pitches at. Uh, Torkelson and Green at five and six. I'm personally a Green over Torkelson guy, but that is not a hill I will die on. They are both so freaking good. And when you're at the top here, you're, again, splitting hairs. Alvarez at seven is a guy that you know we have at four or five probably in the update, but still, I mean, again, I'm not going to care about that. I love seeing O'Neill Cruz at eight because, you know, Fangraphs is very analytically driven. Not that any other top prospect list isn't, but Fangraphs is going to lean on it even harder. And O'Neill Cruz is a guy that hits the ball as hard as anybody in baseball. That's something I've talked about, not only in the minor leagues, but in the big leagues. I mean, he had as many 120 plus mile per hour home runs as anyone in baseball minor leagues or major leagues besides John Carlos did. He actually edged out Shohei Otani and Aaron Judge in that department. So we're talking about a guy that has prolific power, seems to have figured out the field to hit a little bit too with how much he has been able to shorten things up despite being six foot seven. He keeps his hands close to his body, rhythmic load and is pretty compact to the ball and repeats all of his movements really well. He is, in the most kind way possible, a freak, an absolute freak. I don't think we've ever seen somebody like O'Neill Cruz. Cannot wait to see him next year. He's got to be a Rookie of the Year favorite. Josh Young at number nine, I absolutely am a fan of as well. I don't think we'll have him that high, but I got no problem with it. Unfortunately, Josh Young, it was just announced or just reported that he is going to be shut down for a little bit because of a left labrum strain, but the good news is it's a strain. It doesn't sound like it's a tear or any surgery will be required. He also is a two-handed swinger, so that's also good news because we saw it with Tatis where when the shoulder is aggravated and you have that one-hand finish and the kind of bat speed, he doesn't quite have Tatis bat speed, but when you have really good bat speed, you can have a lot of pressure on that shoulder with the one-handed finish. So I think Josh Young should be fine. I'm hoping that whole return in time for the start of the season or the early parts of the season should get a big league look quite early for a Rangers team that's trying to win. Young, just an unbelievable job of just putting a bat on the ball. He's always been a hit tool guy and now has started to translate that into lift and power. And that's a big reason why we're seeing Young in the top 10. And I have no problem with that whatsoever. Moreno right after him at 10 is also a great spot for him. At number 11 is where things get interesting because I don't disagree with the ranking. I agree with having Shane Boz at number 11. Well, where I disagree is with the write-up because it, it seems a little bit confusing to me that you're going to have Shane Boz at 11 and also label him as pretty much extreme relief risk. When you have him ranked that high, aside from the fact that I disagree with the relief risk at this point, I think he he proved that he is fine in that department with some of the mechanical changes he made. And we saw how much he just pounded the strike zone in the minor leagues. And I thought he looked good in the big league uh, stints. It was very brief, only three starts in the regular season. But I thought we saw some really good things from Shane Boz there. So I'm not sure why... Fangraphs feels like there's still relief risk here. I mean, even in those 13 and a thirds innings, he struck out 18 in the big leagues, only walked three. And then we saw Boz as one of the leaders in strikeouts to walks in the minor leagues last year. So I'm not sure what the single inning relief pitcher designation is for Shane Boz. And if that is the designation, why is he still 11? Seems like kind of playing both sides here of we're ranking him super high as this high upside guy. 
but we're also going to put a single inning relief pitcher designation on him. And for context, there is not another pitching prospect in the top. I'm, I'm scrolling right now until 82. So in the top 81 prospects, you do not have another pitching prospect with a single inning relief pitcher designation, not even Sixto Sanchez, like not even some of the guys that have that extreme risk, Cade Cavalli, some of the others, you're not seeing it. Cole Henry's the guy who checks into 82 with the single inning relief pitcher designation, uh, which means, you know, that's kind of what they see them ultimately uh, winding up as. So I think it's a little bit surprising there. Uh, Lagenhagen cites some of the prior command issues, though he made some very tangible mechanical adjustments to quell that. And I I think there's more than enough evidence to the fact that he has been able to improve in that department. The other thing is that Loggenhagen says that there wasn't as much of that translation of chase rates and whiffs with his arsenal across the board uh, at the big league level. But I mean, this was a young pitcher making his big league debut after not pitching above high A prior to last season. I mean, and and it's not like he was bad. He went 13 and a third innings and pitched to a 2.03 ERA. And if you want to look at the individual pitches, I didn't really see anything that stood out to me uh, in a negative way either. The fastball garnered a 30% whiff rate. The slider garnered a 41% whiff rate. The curveball 50% 50% whiff rate, and the changeup small sample size only threw it 11 times, but showed a decent feel for it there. That I think that's a big X factor for him. But he's still giving you the three speeds with the fastball, slider, and curveball, and all three pitches were really effective in limited sample sizes. So I'm not totally sure where the reasoning is here. And honestly, that write-up on Boz was one of my only detractions because everything else, you know, there's a, there's a really sound logic behind it, and I, and I understand it. And of course, there is plenty of data to back up a lot of the beliefs here. So I don't know if it's more of a uh, previous bias on Shane Boz because there was a lot of doubts around Shane Boz and his command, especially from fan graphs. And sometimes it can be harder to come around on those guys. But I think Boz has showed us enough uh, for us to come around on him all the way. And I think most of the industry has. That was just one of the few, few surprises there. But every list of 100 write-ups is going to have a few surprises here and there. Rolling through this list now as we get closer to the back end of the teens. Volpe at 12 is probably right around where we'll have him. I love Corbin Carroll still being up at 14, even though he only played a handful of games last year. The kid is so talented. And then a surprise. Don't have a problem with it, but a surprise. Mick Abel at 20, just behind Marco Luciano and Marcelo Meyer. Very high on Mick Abel is fan graphs. And it's understandable because the fastball profile is really exciting. The curveball has a lot of potential. And I think you could be looking at two either plus or plus plus pitches there. And you're hoping that he can develop the changeup as even an average third pitch. I think Abel's going to have the command. And I think that you're seeing fan graphs getting ahead of this one. They really like the profile of Abel. And I don't blame them. He's 20 years old. He's 6'5", 190. And Already has the fastball that is easily touching upper 90s. He has the wipeout curve and a changeup that's already showing a lot of potential. No doubt a lot to like there. And I think Abel could be a guy that we look back and say, man, Fangraphs was right about that. And they were way out ahead of it. He's a top 100 guy, no doubt. Uh, But I don't think I've seen him as high as 20 anywhere else. But I like it. He does have that kind of upside. Uh, 21 for MJ Melendez. Love that. I think anytime you see the contact power guys, and Melendez was never a contact guy 
before last season, but last season Melendez launched 41 home runs and kept the strikeout rate at 21% and walked nearly 15% of the time. So you have a guy now that is showing above average bat to ball skills or above average ability to get on base at least with that power. Those are guys that are always going to be ranked highly. And that's why we see Tristan Casas at 16. I realize I'm going back words again because I realized I skipped over Cassis. I love seeing Tristan Cassis at number 16 because this is a guy that, you know, we just talked about last episode as someone I absolutely love as a prospect because of his ability to get on base, because of his polish at the plate and power that is still developing. Anytime you have the 55 to 60 hit tool guys with 60 power or more, Those are just the safest bets, the Torkelsons of the world. And I think Casas is not too far off. He's still in the process of translating that raw power into game power. But I'm okay with that and I'm patient with that because he is such a complete and well-rounded hitter who does so many different things. And we talk about him a lot, obviously, in Monday's episode with the Red Sox rundown. Moving back onto the 20s, always, always love to see people who are high on Alec Thomas, because while Thomas will probably never win an MVP award, he is as high of a floor prospect as you're going to find with the way he approaches the game, with his skill set, an eight field to hit, and also just the background of being a gamer, his father being, as I mentioned, I think a couple episodes ago, being the conditioning coordinator, I believe, for the Chicago White Sox. He's just been a baseball guy through and through, and you can just see it in the way he approaches the game. That's a guy I will almost bet I'd bet anything on, and and it's really hard to bet on prospects, right? But I would almost bet anything on Alec Thomas having a long uh, big league career, barring anything unforeseen. Jack Leiter at 24. I mean, you you can't have Jack Leiter outside the top 30. Kid's just too talented, even though we haven't seen him pitch uh, at the professional level yet. I love Kirby in New York at 28 and 29. Jeremy Pena. I don't think there's a prospect with more helium right now than Jeremy Pena, even though he hasn't played since the second month of the 2021 season. He is as bulky and ripped as you are going to find a shortstop or really prospect period, yet he's still moving really quickly. And plus defender, power that's going to translate. I've talked about him as a card I'm investing in, and now we're seeing fan graphs with Jeremy Pena at number 30. That card's going to continue to go up in value, especially if he gets off to a hot start for a competitive team. And guess who's not too far behind? Bryson Stott at 34. I don't think we've seen Stott that high anywhere else. He's going to be close to that high on our list. Might even be right around that range. But I love to see Fangraphs drinking the Bryson Stott Kool-Aid because they should be. And those are the two investments I gave out as part of the eBay segment in the Friday episode. I have no idea if the folks at Fangraphs are card collectors, but it sounds like they agree that Stott and Pena are buys. Uh, Continuing into the back end of the 30s and into 40, love to see Kyle Harrison in the top 40, Soderstrom at 36, Luis Matos at 35. Those are all guys that belong in that range. You can interchange them however you want, but they belong there, no doubt about it. I'm a big Kowser fan, cannot wait to see what he's going to do this year. I think he's going to climb through the minor leagues extremely quickly for the Baltimore Orioles. Roanzi Contreras in the top 50 with the Pirates, big time. He definitely is a top 50 prospect. Uh, One of the few detractions here again, Ronnie Mauricio at 44. Um, You know, I'm just, I'm really surprised to see the, uh, the resistance to drop Mauricio here by uh, a lot of different prospect outlets. I'm not saying he's doomed or it's over by any means, but 
I really struggle to have Ronnie Mauricio at 44 and Josh Lowe and Nick Prado behind him, who are at 45 and 47, respectively. I just don't know how you can justify that, right? Like, what what are we really thinking at this point? Where Where is Ronnie Mauricio at? I understand what he can be potentially, but with the defensive questions, with the inconsistency at the plate, the lack of approach, he's not a plus runner. I'm not sure that you can look at him and say that guy's better than than Josh Lowe, who put up just a wonderful AAA season and looks ready to start in center field or corner outfield potentially for the Rays. And Nick Prado, I mean, that guy can really, really swing it. I understand the first base limitation, so that's one I can maybe understand. But Josh Lowe, probably in that 40 to 50 range, we might have him higher. We probably will, but more of the surprise is that you have Ronnie Mauricio ahead of him. Another guy that I am so amped to see in the top 50 because he will be in the top 50 for us, Curtis Mead of the Rays. Another Rays prospect in that top 50 range. They have him at 48. They have him as a left fielder, which is interesting because that's the big question. Where is Mead going to play? I would like to see him in corner outfield. He can definitely play first base. I think there's potential at third as well. That's where he got the most run last year. Uh, But If he can play all over the diamond, we'll see what his best position is. I won't sit here and pretend like I know that, but the bat is just so darn good. We're seeing a plus hit tool here for a 21-year-old with above average power. Sign me up. I think Fangraphs was also much more reasonable with the ranking for Nolan Gorman. And this is a guy that I feel like I've just been a little bit too negative on just because I'm trying to explain the case here. I think Gorman is comfortably a top 60 prospect and they have him at 53 here but the big thing for me is that at the end of the day there are still some big questions and I know that he put up great numbers in AAA for a young player and I think that's what we are getting stuck exclusively looking at I think at times but when you can't hit velo and you really struggle against lefties and you're now getting accommodated to a new position at second base There's just too many questions there for you to be a top 20 prospect for me. I think it's super exciting that he did what he did in AAA as one of the younger players at that level. And that's because of the ability to punish breaking balls and be able to hit, you know, mistakes from right-handed pitchers. But you can't be non-competitive left on left and also struggle against Velo uh, and be a top 20 prospect for me. But Gorman has plenty of time to work that stuff out. Still not even 22 years old yet. Uh, But I think the 53 to 60 range makes more sense for him. Daniel Espino right behind him. I think Espino is a consensus top 50 guy just outside of there. No problem at all with that. A big surprise, though, at 57. And again, I don't have a problem with it. I just don't think I'd ever go this bullish. But Stephen Kwan of the Cleveland Guardians at 57. And that is a really, really fun one. I'm, I'm here for those hot takes because, I mean, if you feel really strong about a prospect... Hell yeah, show it. Uh, Don't be afraid. And Fangraphs has never been afraid of that. And look, Stephen Kwan, he could easily be the starting center fielder from day one for the Guardians next year just because of how good he is at the plate in terms of just putting the bat on the ball. He's a plus runner. He is a great defender in center. Could be an elite defender in the corner as Fangraphs lays out. But when you have the hit tool that Kwan has, I mean, the guy does not swing and miss. And We saw Fangraphs in this updated uh, grade here of Quan. Not only do they rank him 57th in all of baseball, but they gave him a 70 present hit tool, 80 future. And remember, we don't see 80. 
We don't see 80 hit tools. We've only seen that with Vladdy Jr. and Wander Franco. It's not 80 present, so that's not quite putting him in that range, but 70 present even, you don't see very often at all. Not much power there, but when you're walking 12% of the time in AAA and striking out 6% of the time, that's something to be excited about. The guy absolutely mashes his numbers from last season if you're not as familiar with Quan of the Guardians, and I wouldn't blame you because not very many people are. 328, 407, 527 slash line, 11% walk rate, 9% K rate. 154 WRC plus between double A AA and triple A. This guy could be really good. And when you factor in the above average defense and center, which is where I think he should stay, uh, even though he could be a gold glover in the corner, you need him in center field because he's not going to be able to give you the power that you might want. And, uh, the Guardians need some more pop, so I would like Quan in center, and I think he could already be a more well-rounded player than what they have right now with Miles Straw in center field, though Straw is a special, special defender. Ellie De La Cruz at number 59, absolutely love that, of the Cincinnati Reds, just turned 20 years old, switch hitter, plus-plus runner, plus-plus raw power, I mean, this guy could be not too long from now, one of the best prospects in baseball, period. I'm not kidding. There's a lot of variance here. There's a wide range of outcomes, but Ellie De La Cruz is as dynamic as it gets. I mean, I cannot believe how fast the guy is. It seems like he's taking three strides and he's from first to second base. Long, quick strides that I think will help him potentially lead the league in triples, though it might be tough to do that in Cincinnati, and power that he's already putting up some pretty ridiculous exit velos, and he is... A beanpole, with all due respect. He's not very filled out. He has plenty, plenty of room to fill out. And as a 70 present runner, if he puts on some weight and slows down a little bit, he could still be a plus runner. He's 6'2", 150 right now. He puts on 25, 30 pounds. He's still going to be a plus runner. I almost wouldn't doubt it. And already present raw power because of how much uh, he's able to impact the baseball in the exit velo department, but you can imagine if he puts on 20, 30 pounds of muscle, you could be looking at 70 raw, 80 raw power here, which would put him as one of the highest end prospects in the game in that department with really exciting athleticism to pair with that. So this is a really interesting prospect that is worth following and somebody that I is at the top of my list of guys I am most excited to see next year. Right behind Ellie De La Cruz is Luis Medina. Um, and I don't know. I don't know when the ship's going to sail on this one. I, I understand what Medina is capable of. I understand that Medina throws very, very hard. Um, but at the end of the day, the fastball gets hit pretty well. Uh, it is, it is a flat upper nineties fastball that just does not quite get the swings and misses you'd expect. The feel for the changeup is not there. The curveball has good shape, but either breaks out of the strike zone. He can't really throw it for a called strike, as is the case oftentimes with downer curveballs. And you pair that with the fact that he's often working from behind in the count. He just can't go to the pitch as much. I'm not so sure that uh, Luis Medina is still a top 100 prospect. He wasn't even a top 10 prospect for us in the Yankee system. He's a reliever. Uh, he could still turn into an exciting reliever, but I, I just don't really see it there, especially as he's encroaching on 23 years old and really hasn't had that much success outside of 
high A, and even in high A, yes, he was striking guys out, but he was also walking more than five batters per nine, and it was the same story in double A as well. Hope I'm wrong on that one. He turns into a starting pitcher, but I just don't see it there. Brandon Williamson right behind him at 61 is a guy I really, really like. Southpaw with the Seattle Mariners. Uh, he's going to be 24 years old, so he he should force his way up to the big league sooner rather than later, but fantastic numbers for the Southpaw in Seattle, overshadowed by just what I say is baseball's best farm system. But when you have an above average to plus fastball and then a litany of secondaries that I really like, the slider, curveball, and changeup have all flashed plus uh, on occasion. I really like all those offerings. The curveball is my favorite, though, which looks like it's encroaching on potentially plus plus territory. So look out for Williamson. Just another ridiculous arm in a system full of ridiculous arms. Going on to the back end of the 60s, a really nice spot for Kobe Mayo at 69. He is going to be one of the, I think, big helium prospects as we look at next year. I already see the hype starting to drum up around him. Uh, a guy that was an overslot third rounder, I believe, back in 2020 out of high school, out of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, which is the same high school as Jesus Lazardo as Colton Welker, or if you go a little bit further back, of course, Anthony Rizzo. Mayo has crazy raw power, just turned 20 years old. And excuse me, he was the fourth round pick, but big time overslot. So really was early second round money, I believe. This guy is really special. 6'5", 215, moves well, should be able to stick at third base. But what really impressed me was the field to hit. We knew that he was going to have big-time raw power, uh, but I was not expecting him to be as polished of a hitter as we saw in his first stint in low A last year for a kid straight out of high school. 311, 416, 547 slash line, really impressive stuff, mixed in five home runs in 27 games. He dominated the complex for 23 games before that which encouraged the Orioles to be more aggressive and sent him as a 19-year-old to low A ball, and he did not blink there. And the defense, I thought, was a lot further along as well than I think many of us expected, though he could smooth up his actions a little bit, as many always could stand to do. Ari Perez of the Miami Marlins, the six foot seven, six foot eight wonderkin over there, he's going to be, I think, one of the best pitching prospects in baseball very soon. He's in the back 60s there. Shea Langliers, catching prospect with the Braves at 70. That's a high floor catcher that I think is going to be in an above average catcher at the big league level for a long time. Should be helping the Braves as soon as next year, especially with the uncertainty around Travis Darno's ability to stay on the field. He did extend with the Braves, but I could see a little bit more of a timeshare there behind the dish. Veen at 71, Zach Veen of the Colorado Rockies. That was a surprise to me. This is this is a really funny 71, 72, 73 here because to me, Zach Veen is not only head and shoulders, I would say head and shoulders and torso above the guys behind him, but it goes 71, Zach Veen, 72, Christian Pache, and 73, Jason Dominguez. I don't hate Dominguez at 73, Pache for me is a guy that I've been out on since like 2020 um, and he has not really done anything to make me any less out on him. If anything, he has only really reinforced that belief (laughs) that I just don't think he can hit at the upper minor league or big league level. 
Dominguez, it's so early for this kid. I'm not going to swear him off, but I think it was a little bit of a reality check through the first season that he's not some generational Mickey Mantle that people were trying to make him out to be right out of the gate, which was unfair to him. Zach Veen is extremely special, had a great first professional season, has ridiculous raw power, has plus speed. I'm a little bit surprised to see him kind of in the same bucket as those guys. There was some swing and miss in his first season, but this was a high school kid in his first professional season going straight to low A and in 106 games launched 15 home runs, swiped 36 bags, walked at a 13% clip, struck out at a 26% clip. Yes, that's high, but it's not egregious. There's some swing and miss there, but I mean the, the quality of contact, the speed, the guy hit for the cycle. Last year, towards the end of the season, got better and better every time I saw him. I think he's well inside the top 50 there. Was was surprised to see him uh, so low and with that trio uh, there, which was kind of funny to see. Greg Jones in the top 100 of the Tampa Bay Rays, another guy that I love as just such an exciting athletic prospect. But at the end of the day, there's some swing and miss there. Um, so there's some questions but I'm always here for Greg Jones. I'm biased because I like him as a dude, too. Had him back on the Locked On MOB Prospects podcast a little while back. I am so enamored with his skill set and am just mesmerized by what, what the upside could be. But albeit there's a ton of risk there. Hopefully Greg Jones will be a guy that we'll get back on the show in the coming weeks at some point. Uh, because really enjoyed having him on Locked On MOB Prospects. He talks a lot about trying to find that balance between the power that he is now kind of Uh, fallen into and been able to develop, but also being that plus-plus runner and putting the bat on the ball and letting his speed eat. Would love to have a follow-up with him and talk to him about that soon. So keep an eye out. We might be able to get Greg Jones back on. And uh, ironically, as we're talking about guests, right behind Greg Jones at 78 is Joey Weimer, uh, who we just had on the podcast a week or so ago. Definitely check out that Weimer interview uh, if you hadn't seen it or heard it yet. Weimer was so good, so funny, and just just a great, great guest. That's a guy that I would love to consistently have on moving forward. Uh, he's already a multi-guest back from the Locked On Prospects days to now on the call-up, and just a guy I love to talk to. We also talk some hitting on our YouTube as well, so definitely go check that out. But love Weimer in the top 100. What the guy did last year is absurd. I don't care what you think about his swing mechanics. Uh, he makes it happen, and he talks about that in the podcast. And if you didn't come away more encouraged, by Weimer after what he did last year and then also listening to that interview. Um, I mean, the guy just has what it takes. I'm expecting him to be a really exciting player for a long time. Geraldo Perdomo in the top 100 is one that I, I just, there's just something that everybody else is seeing that I'm not. Perdomo at 83, I just I just don't really get it. Um, look, high floor guy that can pick it at shortstop, could be a great utility bat, uh, utility infielder with above average to plus speed, but the guy just does not impact the baseball enough. He's just not that great of a hitter. I think we saw that in a brief big league stint, though I'm not going to put too much stock into that. What I'm putting stock into is the fact that he just didn't really impact the baseball in double A. 97 WRC plus last year in double A. Gets the nod still to the big leagues. Doesn't do great. Gets sent back down. I just don't really understand uh, what everybody or not everybody, but what people see here with Perdomo. I think it's really the glove that carries here because he has that exciting ability and has some bat-to-ball skills, but I just don't really see how he's going to be able to impact the baseball enough to be a good enough regular that's going to give you much more than 
low 700s in the OPS department, but maybe I'm wrong there. I'm just not, I'm not necessarily looking at him as a top 100 guy. Not bad by any means, but just doesn't have enough to dream on and hasn't done enough in the minors to really be able to go either way there and sell him as a top 100 guy to me. I love seeing Owen White get a little bit of love here of the Texas Rangers. White had been injured for a while. Bad timing with the injury combined with 2020's layoff. So, I mean, it was it was a long time of not seeing the former second-round pick, but still just 22 years old. He was the best pitcher in the Arizona Fall League this past season. He was really good in low A this past season, striking out 14 0.6 batters per nine. I mean, th- this guy is good. He is legit. The fastball is solid. The slider is nasty. The command is strong, and he mixes in a good changeup. Owen White's a name to watch with a lot of helium, and I think he is a back-end top 100 guy for me. Love to see Jose Miranda in here, though I'd have him a little bit higher than 85. Same story with Andy Pajes of the LA Dodgers. Just too much upside too much talent there, especially with the production of hitting over 30 home runs last year, to not have him a little bit higher. And I'm assuming that the Dodgers, I just I just know the Dodgers will continue to develop him in the right way uh, to quell some of that swing and miss. Josh Winder, pitching prospect, 25 years old with the Minnesota Twins at 88. I like Winder. I, I wrote him up not too long ago in the Minnesota Twins top 10, comfortably inside the top 10 for the Twins. But I was surprised to see him on the top 100 list, but definitely an exciting arm, and I don't have a problem with it whatsoever. Uh, but it was funny to see him ahead of Jordan Balazovic, which is somebody that I think we saw as one of the top pitching prospects in baseball for Keith Law. Uh, but in this in- instance, we see Josh Winder at 88 and Balazovic at 91. Gabriel Arias at 92. That's a guy that's just been sitting around the back end of the top 100 list, and he belongs there, no doubt about it. Here's where I was shocked. Bobby Miller at 94. Why? Uh, I really struggle to understand why Bobby Miller would be at 94. This guy is as exciting as it gets. He reminds me a lot of Sandy Alcantara of the Marlins with his build, with the heavy sink on the fastball, but also can mix in a four-seamer with life that's elevated. The the breaking ball continues to get better. I, I really like everything we see. So far from Bobby Miller, the changeup has shown some flashes as well. The command continues to get better. Um, not sure what what the risk is here that that we see or that Fangraph sees with Bobby Miller, but there seems to be some questions with the command and violent delivery uh, in their words. So that was a surprise to me. But at the end of the day, uh, that's what makes the world go round. I am much, much, much higher on. Bobby Miller uh, is a little bit of a spoiler to what you can see on our top 100 list. Definitely will have him higher up there. Seth Johnson of the Rays, a name that just does not get enough love at 96 here. Uh, I like having him in the top 100. He's going to be a borderline guy for us, but Johnson was one of the more called about names at the deadline, him as well as Tommy Romero. So no problem with him there. Nick Gonzalez at 105 was kind of shocking to me. There's a there's a stretch of guys here that was shocking to me. Valera at 103. Then you have Gonzalez at 105. Valera of the Cleveland Guardians outfielder, outfielder who is really darn good. Then you have Edward Cabrera at 107 as well uh, of the Miami Marlins pitching prospect. I understand that he struggled at the big league debut last year, uh, but Nick Gonzalez, I, he was hurt for parts of last year. I'm a big Nick Gonzalez fan. I'm, I'm really high on him. He still finished exceptionally well last year. He has a track record of hitting. 
I don't know how you could drop him to 105. Valera, he could not have been much better last year. I, I really don't know what we what else we need to see from Valera to not have him uh, any higher. I mean, the guy dismantled high A pitching as a 20-year-old, hit 16 home runs, walked 21% of the time, 165 WRC plus there. Then gets a call up to double A and was really solid there. 267, 340, 407 slash line. Power took a bit of a hit, but was still an above average hitter as a 20-year-old in double A after losing maybe one of the most important years for him in his development in 2020. Surprised to see him that low, uh, but you know that, that was just one of the few other surprises that we saw here from the top 114 prospects uh, by Fangraphs. Love to see Owen Casey at 104, just outside the list. He's he's right on the brink, in my opinion. Love, 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 love to see Vinny Pascantino at 111. The guy rakes. He is so much fun. He can absolutely mash. Pascantino is a stud. And uh, while he's limited at first base, he's just too high floor of a bat. I uh, love to see him there. Going back to the last guy on the top 100 before the cutoff of these other names I just mentioned, Asa Lacey at 100. <laughs> That's basically where I'm teetering right now. Is is he going to be in that 95 to 100 range on our top 100 update, or does he fall out? I'm honestly leaning towards him falling out and being just on the edge, just on the outside looking in. Uh, but we'll see. I got to do. It's more about where the rest of the guys shake out to determine how Lacey squeezes in there. Uh, but I'm in agreement there. He's right on the edge at about 100. Uh, but overall. I really enjoyed the list. Go check it out at Fangraphs.com. It's front and center on their website as they just dropped it earlier today. This is a really comprehensive, really well done list with a lot of rankings. It's a vast majority that I agree with. Of course, like I said, it's just I'm going to talk about where I disagree because that's what I'm here to do, but it doesn't make it uh, any less of an impressive list. The write-ups are fantastic. The information that they have is always phenomenal. They back up a lot of the claims and a lot of their beliefs with data. Um, the, the few little areas where I felt like there was gaps in that department, of course, I'm going to talk about it. But anytime you're writing up a bajillion prospects, there's going to be some some areas where things slip through the cracks or maybe where the logic doesn't totally apply all the way through. Still, this is probably my favorite top 100 list. I guess I, guess I should say top 114 prospect list I've seen uh, so far through this update season, I guess that it is right now as we're seeing so many top 100 updates. And uh, like I said earlier, you'll see some similarities between our list and theirs. Uh, and there will be some some differences as well, as you could tell. I clued you into some of those. But always fun going through these lists and seeing where some of the biggest prospect pundits line up with where their views are on some of these prospects. Uh, it's really just fun to go through it all. And I hope you enjoy these kind of series as we will go through some of the latest top 100 lists. And of course, as we drop ours in the next couple weeks, I will be doing a ton of Q&A. If you don't like where I ranked some of uh, your favorite team's prospects or your favorite prospects, my DMs are always open for you to uh, yell at me, though I, I would I would ask if you could please be nicer uh, with the yelling because I will, I will definitely try to explain my logic. And if you feel like there's some gaps in the logic with what I'm doing, I'm always all ears on that and I'm happy to talk it out. Uh, and I'm very much looking forward to our update coming out soon. Keep an eye out for that. Reminder, Red Sox Top Prospects is out. And again, apologize for not having the interview today. I will make it up to you with a lot of very, very exciting interviews on the horizon, especially as we get closer to the minor league season starting off. As always, thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking prospects with you on Friday.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.